Well, good evening there, kiddos. It is April 21st, 2020, and welcome to the 21st edition of your Sloggy Daddy Cast. Um, it was a good day. I got into the weld shop and started making a pull-up bar. I had already made the actual pull-up bar, but I needed to make the supports and brackets for it. So, besides helping Mick out a little bit, that's all I did. Played in the weld shop, talked to the guys. It was kind of a rest day because I've been working really hard the last three weeks. So, my goodness, I needed a little break. Anyways, let's get right to it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 31 here, oh, 21, sorry, um, and we're getting closer to the end of this book, and this Matthew is one of the Gospels, or one of the stories of Jesus, Gospel means good news, so this tells the story of Jesus' life and the, the good news that's in his that is makes you know that comes along with his story <clears throat> and there's 28 chapters and we're on 21 tonight so we're getting towards the end when he is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified on the cross and then be resurrected so chapter 21 starts with the triumphal entry that's section 1 and then Section 2 is called Jesus Cleanses the Temple. And then Section 3 is The Fig Tree Withered. Section 4 is The Lesson of the Withered Fig Tree. And then fifth section is called <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus' Jesus's Authority Questioned. And then... Six is the parable of the two sons. And the seventh section is the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And that's the end. So let's start with the first section. The triumphal entry. Verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Verse 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You guys remember that story about Davy the donkey? I think his name was Davy. But he was a, a foal. I'm sorry. A, yeah, he was like a kid donkey. And that was a neat story all about the donkey that carried Jesus. 
And again, Matthew is trying to tell his audience, tell the Jewish people that, hey, this whole story and all these details were written about Jesus a long time ago by the prophets who foretold of him coming and all that he would do. And here's the example of the donkey. Verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them, set him, Jesus, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Next section. Jesus cleanses the temple. Verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in, in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall not be called a house. I'm sorry. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Did you hear what they are saying? <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city of Beth city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Next section, the fig tree withered. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, <coughs> Oh, excuse me. He came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Next section is called The Lesson of the Withered Fig Tree. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Stop there. 
Remember last night in chapter 20, Jesus asked the blind people, what do you want me to do? And now he's saying, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And if you ask according to God's will, he will give according to his will. Okay, next section. Jesus' authority questioned. Verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which, if you tell me, I like lot. I likewise will tell you by what authority I, I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned for among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men... We fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he, Jesus, said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus, so wise, I mean, he is God, but he was so wise in turning the Pharisees blame against them. He says, they said, you don't have any authority to be teaching and saying these things and doing these things. But he says, well, I'll tell you who gave me the authority. If you can just tell me simply if John the Baptist whom all these people believed in, who is now dead, was John's baptism and his message, did it come from heaven? Was it a good thing? Was it a godly thing? Or was it from men, something that he made up or somebody else made up? And they said, uh, oh, we don't have an answer. And either answer is bad for us, so we can't even... We just don't know. So Jesus showed them their foolishness. Okay, next section. The parable of the two sons. Verse 28. And Jesus says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered. The son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went and worked in the vineyard. Then he came to the second son and said the same thing. And he, the second son, answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two sons, which of the two sons did the will of his father? And the people, they said to him, the first Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, 
and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. <clears throat> Next section is called The Parable of the Wicked Vine Dressers. A vine dresser is just somebody, like a farmer, who takes care of a vineyard. Verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, that's picking the grapes and making juice that'll later become wine. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. And last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their season in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone who the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is what the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking to them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes, because they took him for a prophet. So, Jesus is showing the, um, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, that they don't even have the wisdom to understand who John the Baptist was. They can't even decide whether his message was from was made up by men. They were too cowardly to say that. And they obviously didn't know the truth that John the Baptist's message was from God, a message of repentance that prepared the way for Jesus. And Jesus also told them the parable about God sending prophets to the, to the people and in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament prophets were never received well. They were ignored and beat and killed. And that's the parable of the property owner sending his servants to the wicked vine dressers. And uh, 
And then at last, the, the landowner sends his son to the vine dressers. And of course, that's Jesus. But the vine dressers kill the son, thinking that, that they could just steal the vineyard after that. But that was not going to happen. And it's, it's just replace the son with Jesus and the vine dressers, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees. So they thought they could kill Jesus and make him go away and make his message go away, but that's not going to happen. It says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And that nation is the people of God, the church of the church of Jesus. And whoever falls on this stone, meaning whoever rests on this stone, rests on Jesus, will be broken, but that broken in a good way. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So if Jesus falls on top of you and you're not on top of him, it'll grind you to powder. He will grind you to powder if you reject him. Okay, that's the end of chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Now, I think we have some wing feather to read. Let me see where we're at. Aha! Uh -huh. Chapter 57 is called Songs to Play, Battles to Fight. And I'm going to hit stop here and maybe get a quick drink of water. Okay, that's better. <clears throat> so, we're on chapter 57. And I'm just looking back here real quick. So, we know that Lily does not want to play a certain song because it could summon the dragons. And she really does not like Jurgen. Because Jurgen wants to kill Poto. And she saw evil in Jurgen's soul. And she doesn't trust him. But Oscar had learned from the first book that there had been, at one time, an alliance between Aniria and the dragons. <clears throat> so, um, that's about all we know right now of, you know, what the dragons, are, that, you know, about Lily and the dragons in that song. Then chapter 56 was called Kicking Despair in the Rump. <clears throat> and if you remember that, Lily was waking up and she was going into kind of the war council with Rudrick and all of the the chieftains and the chieftesses and the big, tough, strong, burly-looking ladies and the big, strong, beautiful ladies and the other warriors. And uh, she was just eating her breakfast because they were, they were actually working night shift. They have to start fighting and defending the city at nightfall because the stinky bat fangs would come. And uh, and they were all just getting all upset. And and then finally Poto said, Well, why don't you just take the, take the ships and tie them up together inside, you know, make a big barricade with all the ships. And... They said, you know what, That's that might be a good idea, 
Poto. And Poto was kind of sitting with, with Lily and he, he whispered, Sometimes someone needs to kick despair in the rump. There's always a way out, eh, lass? And what Lily say? Aye. <laughs> in step with her grandpa. Pretty cute. But Poto's right. There's always a way out. There's no need to despair. No need to get caught in complaining and whining and thinking thinking the bad will never go away. Because it will. And Poto had definitely seen that. So he helped everybody out a lot. But Poto says, you should probably play Jurgen's tune. She said, well, I'm not going to because I don't want those stinky dragons to show up. So, Poto didn't insist on anything. And at the end of that chapter, Rudrick kind of looked at Lily, and Lily was like, I know, time to get to work. So she pulled her whistle harp from the folds of her coat as if she were a knight drawing a sword, then followed Ladnar from the room. And now we are at chapter 57. I'm going to get a little more comfortable here. Give me one second. One second. Okay. Chapter 57 is called Songs to Play, Battles to Fight. Lily climbed the steps to the roof of the library, flanked by a com company of soldiers, men and women armed to the fingertips and looking warily at the air. Lily couldn't see much over their shoulders, but she saw enough. Out beyond the harbor, in the cliffs of the watercraw, backlit by the purple dusk, a shadow moved slowly toward them. Thank you for coming, your highness, said one of the women. Her reddish hair was braided and hung over leather armor plated with rusty metal. She bowed her head. I know you're tired. You're tired too, said Lily. Where are the O'Sallies? Right behind you, answered Thorn, who stood in the company with a dog on either side. Lily turned and accidentally let a smile spread over her face. Oh, she said, touching her lips. Oh, ow, she said, touching her lips. She was embarrassed to be so happy to see her friend. She didn't want him to think she liked him. Or maybe she did. Suddenly her cheeks were rosy as the morning sky. She took a deep breath and straightened, just like Nia. Then said as seriously as she could, I'm glad to see you. What's the plan? I was going to ask you the same. Thorn tore off a piece of hog pig jerky, chewing on it for a few seconds, then spat. <laughs> Excuse me. The dogs are worn out, but they'll do whatever you ask. How many did we lose yesterday? Forty-three. Thorn shook his head. Hard to say how many are left. A few hundred, maybe. It's real bad. Really bad. Oi, like I said, 
It was a terrible thing, sending the dogs into battle. It weighed on Lily every time she gave the order, knowing that many of them wouldn't return. But they were as eager to fight as any of the Hollows folk, and in their simple way, they seemed to understand what was at stake. Many of the Houndry Corps spent every waking hour scouring and sniffing the city for spent arrows, returning them to the makeshift Fletchery at the Orchard Inn. Another company of dogs dispatched messages from Green Hill Press on Cherry Lane to different parts of the city. Since the enemy wasn't gathered in a clear line on an open field, but rather came from above and could drop gray fangs in different parts of the city, communication was crucial. Days earlier, Lily had asked Rudrick what the dogs could do to help, short of accompanying the warriors in battle. He had just entered the war room of the great library, fresh from a battle. He was sweaty, dirty, and exhausted as he answered questions from every direction at once. Lily knew they were there were a thousand more important things demanding his attention, so she stood near the wall and listened. We need soldiers in the, at the south of the craw. Wolves are coming in over the cliffs, panted one of the men. Rudrick gave him his new orders just as someone else burst into the room, asking for more arrows at the gilding hall. Rudrick gave another order, and another, and Lily noticed that the men he dispatched were exhausted. That was when she had came up with the idea for the messenger dogs. Dogs were faster more agile, lower to the ground, and therefore harder to see. She hobbled over to one of the men and asked him to write the message down and go find water and rest. She would see that the message was delivered. It would have been better if Rudrick had approved it, but Lily was correct in her belief that the less Rudrick had to think about, the better a leader he would be. She had asked Thorne O'Sally to call for Leaper. She dog-spoke to Leaper, telling him that he was to bring back any reply, secured the note to his collar, and sent him off into the night. Only minutes later, the dog had returned, unharmed, having delivered the message and brought back a reply. Rudrick hardly noticed, until the next day, when he realized that most of the battle's correspondence was being handled by Brave Leaper, aided by Lily's gift of communication. He had winked at Lily and flashed a smile. That was the final approver, approval she had been waiting for. In the few spare moments when Lily wasn't needed with her whistle harp on the rooftops, she and Thorne had gathered a passel of the smartest dogs. Leaper, Flag, Baxter, who had already recovered enough to help, and feisty little Frankel among them. Lily knew, knelt before them in Gully Saloon and conveyed the plan to them in dog speak. It was difficult, even for Lily, to communicate it all to the dogs in such a short time, but the whole pack had sat at attention and locked their eyes on the song maiden as if they understood every word. And Leaper filled in the blanks for her with whines 
in little barks. Thorn and Biggin fashioned tubes to the dog's collars for the purpose of holding written orders. Leerly taught Thorn and Biggin how to dog speak each of the commander's names and positions, and it was up to the dogs to find them in the various sections of the city whenever they were sent with an urgent message. It had worked it had worked brilliantly, but after the second day, Lily realized that half her messenger dogs were dead or wounded. Not only did that mean her soul was heavy with sorrow, it meant she had a train she had to train more dogs every day, even as she grieved the ones who had fallen. At Lily's urging, the rest of the Houndry Corps bounded into the battle alongside the Hollis folk. They fought with a will and purpose that none of the Hollish warriors had ever seen. Dogs leapt from stone walls to snag Batfang's legs. They circled Greyfangs and either attacked or held them until Hollish warriors arrived. There were no prisoners taken. Not because the Hollis folk were unmerciful, but because the fangs never, ever stopped fighting. Each morning, a film of brown and gray dust coated the city. And as the warriors bound their wounds and rested, the conversation in Banrona always drifted to the courage of the Houndry Corps and how indispensable the dogs were to the night's striving. In years past, Though dogs had always been central to the culture and community of the Green Hollows, the dogs had been trained to fight with their masters, and their masters taught their dogs individual skills as they saw fit. That meant that one dog wouldn't necessarily understand the command of another dog's master. Not only that, there are often fights between dogs, each seeking dominance or the establishment of territory. But Lily had changed everything on that moonlit night at Chimney Hill. Every single dog had raised its head and howled its allegiance to the Song Maiden. And from that moment, to Lily's embarrassment, many of the dogs had begun ignoring their masters altogether. They had, in the face of battle, transferred their allegiance to the little girl with the twisted foot, the one whose music sang in their blood, the one who spoke their own language. At first they had congregated on the lawn at Chimney Hill and were reluctant to leave if Lily was there. When she did ride into town, the dogs followed her in parade. But she had dog-spoken to them outside the great library and encouraged them to rejoin their masters, who no doubt needed them. The dogs dispersed, but not before each approached Lily and nosed her open hand. It was a relief because she had heard angry mutterings, mutterings from the Hollis folk whose dogs had suddenly gone odd and only listened half the time. Then she began to receive word from Biggin or Ruderick's men that this front line or that was under heavy attack and there were no available warriors in reserve. 
So Lily whistled a call to the dogs across the city and sent pack after pack to the battlefront. Biggin and Thorn and Sally were the best dog speakers in the hollows. But they couldn't have done as much. And so poor Lily was not only needed on the rooftops to play her music and and confound confound the bat fangs, she was also needed throughout the night again and again to command the dogs. All who saw Lily Wingfeather looked on her with wonder and whispered among themselves with awe, for she never complained, never flagged, and never showed any sign of fear. She played song after song, beating back the enemy with all the passion in her soul, then knelt and stroked the wounded heads of her loyal dogs as she whispered and clicked to them her encouragement and commands. When the dogs were off, she drank or ate enough she drank or ate enough to sustain her. Then she mounted the rooftop, tucked her crutch under her arm, and shot her song into the bat-winged sky like a volley of arrows. Her guards, who shifted throughout the day, fought not only for Banrona, or even for their very lives. They fought for the song maiden of Aneria who emptied her strength each night the way a cloud empties itself of rain. Frankel never left her side. Lily had ordered him away time and again, tucked messages on his collar tube, and pointed, but the little whip happily disobeyed her every word. Irritated, she gave up and turned her attention to her music. But soon, Frankel's steady presence became a comfort and quiet com a quiet companion in the heat of battle. He yipped and snapped at the air whenever Batfang swooped low, as if he were as, as if as he were as big as a bomb nubble. Lily's guards came to value his presence too, and if he trotted off to relieve himself or eat, they seemed uneasy until he returned to plop his wagging tail on the ground at Lily's feet. Now, Frankel was tumbling about on the ground and leaping at Lily's cr crutch, snapping at it playfully with his sharp puppy teeth. Thorn tossed him a piece of hog pig jerky. I reckon it's the same as at yesterday. Pa told me that there was a breach on the barricade over on Appleway, and they likely won't have it repaired before the night wave crashes. Be ready to send a pack or two that way, first thing. I've done my best to teach the replacements the messenger posts, but I ain't sure all of them got it. If it gets confusing, I may have to bring them to you. That's fine. Just don't bring them until there's a break in the battle. Things will get bad if I have to stop playing in the thick of an attack. Oi. Want some hog pig? Lily crinkled her nose. No thanks, just ate. Thorn shrugged as he took another bite and chewed it, looking out over the rooftops. I like you, Lily. Pa says if we make it out of this, we should marry. I think that would be real good. 
Lily had no idea what to think or say or do. She wasn't even sure he had actually said what she thought he had said. Thorn chewed his hog pig jerky, bent over, and scratched Frankel behind the ears. A few of the warriors tried to hide smiles, which made Lily's cheeks turn from red to pale white. She gripped her crutch because she felt a wave of dizziness. An onslaught of bat fangs would have been preferable to the strange, delightful, and terrifying feeling that crackled all over her skin. Frankel's cute, she blurted. Anyway, Thorn said, I'll see you later. He strode away, seeming unaware that Lily was gasping for air, and most of the soldiers were grinning after him. Come on, Frankel, she said with a shake of her head, and she mounted a stout table that had been put there just for her. She looked out over Ban Rona, at the, wind, at the broken windows, the smoldering buildings, the ramparts of debris and rubble, Torches were being lit all over the city. The cloud of bat fangs was but minutes away. A howl rang out across the rooftops from somewhere to the south, and it was answered by another in the north. Hollis folk shouted defiance. The city was rousing itself for another long night, another battle, and Lily prayed to the Maker for the strength to play her song as long as she drew breath. She longed to see the dawn, to see these brave people push back at the wickedness again. And somewhere deep in her heart, she longed for the day when she would be old enough to marry. But first, she thought, she would have to teach Thorn some grammar. Here they come, said the woman with the braid. A bat fang shrieked overhead, and a snarling gray fang dropped to the roof. Lily's guard swung sword, hammer, and axe, and a bitter cloud of dust swirled in the air. Lily strummed her whistle harp, then played a melody she had just learned from Oscar's new book. Fetch the pony, Tony. It was a rousing reel of a tune, and she immediately pictured herself adorned in white, dancing at her wedding. It sent such a thrill through her that, before she knew it, the magic shimmered the air, and she saw Janner and Kalmar creeping through a damp darkness. The connection only lasted a moment, but it was enough to tell them she loved them before a swoop of bats cut her concentration and she forgot about weddings altogether. There were, there were songs to play and battles to fight. Come home, she whispered between verses. Please come home, brothers. Excuse me. Chapter 58, Lily's War. The battle raged all through the night. Lily's lips bled, and she endured the smelly balm. The fangs knew that she was their only true obstacle, but it was easy to see they weren't allowed to kill her either. Whenever a cluster of bat fangs swooped down to seize her, 
She played all the louder, and her guards drew closer. And because her whistle harp's song carried far, its effects were felt throughout the city. Several times each night, though, word came by way of her dogs that a fresh attack was centered on another part of the city, and it was necessary that she be bustled off in secret. The guards would remain, and one of the smaller women, garbed in a similar dress and coat to Lily's, stood on the table while Lily slipped away. She would hurry under escort to a wagon, which would then speed through the streets to where she was needed. Lily played. Reinforcements pounded the enemy, and in this way the line was held. Then, as quick as a clap, she was escorted back to the great library to resume her station in the city center. It confounded the fangs every time, confirming the hollish suspicion that though Nag's army was strong in number, it was disorganized and easily duped. But, oh, but, Poto had reminded Lily, a swarm of bees can fell a toothy cow. And enough fangs, fools though they might be, could fell Ban Rona. For long hours Lily played, improvising when she had exhausted every song she knew. One of her guards held open the new book so she could follow the notes of new songs. They did some good, but it was only when she had internalized a piece. They did some good, but it was only when she had internalized a piece of music that she saw the biggest effect on the fangs. Nia remained at the periphery of the rooftop, watching her daughter and praying for her strength. She seemed to know exactly what Lily needed and when. Arriving with a canteen of cool water just when Lily realized she was thirsty, or applying more of the balm, or ducking through the guards to bring motherly words of encouragement. Lily was hardly able to stand by the time the first hint of dawn backlit the hills in the east. The fangs retreated at first light, and as the weary soldiers changed shifts, Poto appeared and lifted Lily onto his back. Nia took her crutch and they walked to her room again. How long could this go on? Would they fight every night until the fangs were all dead? No. The new fleet of ships was coming, and Lily knew that with it would come the end of the war. Lily lay on the bed with her eyes closed. Nia sat beside her, cleaning her face with a cool, damp cloth. She hummed a hollish lullaby. It was sweet of Nia to sing, but Lily needed no encouragement to find her way to sleep. Just as she closed her eyes, Lily felt the pleasant thump of Franco hopping into her bed and curling up at her feet. How is she? Rudrick said from the doorway. She's wearing thin, Nia said. And you? The same. There was a long pause. They've taken the gilding hall. 
A sneak of ridge runners crept through the defenses and distracted our fighters long enough to allow the fangs inside. We lost too many. Rudrick sighed. That's not all. The snow was nearly gone. The days are warm. Someone spotted a company of green fangs near the water crawl just as the sun broke. Green fangs. Yes. Which means legions are to follow. Nia's voice trembled. This will end soon, won't it? One way or another. Somehow Lily knew that Nia and Ruderick weren't looking at one another. Were looking at one another. She risked opening her eyes a squint and saw them staring hard into one another's eyes. Ruderick looked like he was going to speak, and Nia looked like she wanted him to. But a cloud of terrible sadness passed between them, and he turned away. Nia stared long at the empty doorway, listening to Ruderick's fading steps. Lily closed her eyes again and held still as Nia neatened the room, drew the makeshift curtains, and shut the door quietly behind her. Weary as she was, Lily sat up. She petted Frankel, who watched her happily, as she gingerly brought the whistle harp to her lips. Her heart was full, and she needed a place to empty it. She closed her eyes again and gave voice to all her feelings, all her dashed hopes that Nia would find joy with Ruderick, all her gladness that she had met her father that night on the boat, all the grief over his death, all her longing for her brother's return, all her ache for the war to end. She knew that there was a dark presence in her music's magic, but today she didn't care. She needed to play. She needed the comfort of her brother's love. And in the silence of her room, she saw them again in the darkness. Only now they were separated. Janner was afraid with a new kind of fear, and Cal was close to despair. Some blackness was in him that she didn't understand. Cal. She knew that he heard her. Janner heard her, too. We're still here, still fighting. You have to keep fighting, too. They didn't answer with words, only with a swirl of emotions and memories. The jewels' hearts entwined invisibly for a little while. Then, instead of holding to the connection, she bade them safe journey in her heart's language and ended her song. A swell of weariness engulfed her, and she collapsed to her pillow. But before sleep could take her, a voice rattled her mind and shook her so that she nearly tumbled from the bed. I see you. I'll get you, girl. Mama! 
Lily screamed, and Nia burst into the room. What is it? It was... It was him. Who? Nia hugged Lily tightly. Was it a dream? No, Lily cried. It was Nag. He knows the boys are coming. He said he could see us. Shh, Nia whispered. You just had a bad dream. Nia's voice was so soothing after Nag's awful words that Lily half believed her. No, I saw the boys. They're in trouble. They're in the deeps. After I stopped playing, I heard his voice, and he knows. We have to do something. Lily sobbed into Nia's shoulder. So shaken, she lost all her words. She wanted to get up to rouse the Hollis folk, but her eyes were heavy with tears and weariness. Frankel whined and nuzzled Lily's leg. She was only nine years old, and her poor little body was out of strength. Nia's embrace, the warm bed, and her tears overcame the urgency of her fear, and the world blurred. Sleep took her against her will, as surely as Nag had promised to take her, and she could do nothing to stop it. That's the end of the chapter. Poor little Lily is exhausted. My goodness, she's been fighting harder than anybody for a long time. Oh. Wow. Chapter 59 is called Swallowed by the Deeps, which we'll read tomorrow night. Okay. Heavenly Father, please be with my kids. Lily. Lily. Oh my goodness. Lily Joy, Gideon Paul, Christina Rochelle, Sonia Camille, and Garrison Walter. Especially in this time when we're not allowed to go do things and we have to keep our distance from other people so we don't exchange turns if we have them, which we don't. But, God, please give them strength and courage and, Lord, help them to persevere through this trying time. And, God, I pray that you would strengthen them and grow them through this, Lord. I know you want them to be healthy and happy and not have to worry about being too close to people. I pray that this disease would come to an end soon and that our scientists looking for a vaccine would be successful and that all the treatments and tests would become very widespread and give us a lot of good information that we need to keep ourselves and others safe until there's a vaccine. God, help the kids to get good sleep. Please bind the enemy away from them. And Lord, strengthen their angels that watch over them. And uh, may they come to know you through your mighty word and through inspirational stories like this. May all the situations and characters in this story be a mirror to my children's hearts and souls and their actions and their own minds. And may they gain and learn about themselves 
by listening to these stories of these brave characters fighting through these huge struggles. Thank you so much, Lord, for Andrew Peterson and authors who write stories like this that we can grow and learn from. Um, please bless Mary Melissa as she takes care of the children and uh, help me to finish strong at work and uh, be a good example and a light for the guys that I work with. And help me to get good sleep tonight, Father. Um, I love you and thank you so much for all that you've given me and done for me. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for knowing your Father's word and obeying every last prophecy in your Father's word so that you could fulfill all righteousness and complete your mission to lay down your life as a perfect sacrifice for us, for me, for me and all my stinking sin and all the bad things I've done that I'm doing and I will do. Thank you, Jesus for being obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you wouldn't have done it, you didn't have to, I wouldn't ever be able to even have the hope of going to heaven. So thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for me and everybody else who believes in you. In your mighty, mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, kiddos, I love you very much. Hope you get good sleep, give mommy a big hug, and thank her for all that she does for you. And uh, I will catch you tomorrow for another episode of your Sloggy Daddy Cast. Night-night. Love you.